Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Come on, y'all can be louder than that. We don't have a hurricane going on. I mean, we can, we can get, do a little bit better than that today, can't we? Come on, let's give it up. I mean, y'all should be excited. We just did Taylor Swift in church. I don't even know if that's biblical or not, but it was fun. Um, and so maybe some of y'all feel that way about your relationships right now. You got some bad blood going on, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. We're going to deal with some of that today. I believe that God's going to do some incredible things. Um, just uh, an FYI, throughout this series, um, they're going to throw up a slide here with, some, with a little Q&A thing here. Um, I know that there's a lot of questions that people have about relationships and different things, and we want to help answer some of those questions. So throughout the service, if you want to text in some questions, uh, we would love to answer those questions for you. We'll answer them in one of the weeks. We'll just, we'll just kind of throw that in with some of the messaging. It'll be great. It's always been a lot of fun when we have done that. And so I, I would love to be able to answer your questions. Shayla would be able to, to answer some of your questions. Uh, and it, it would be a good time. Last weekend, we had an incredible kickoff to this series. And last weekend, you were here. Um, we, you know that we put some cards with X's and O's in your worship guide. And I think there's some of those. Again, everybody take out your worship guide. Take out your cards, your X's and O's. We're going to need those again this week. Everybody got their X's and O's? If, if you got them, throw up your yes card. Come on, throw it up, throw it up, throw it up. All right, we got that going on. All right, perfect, perfect. We got some questions again for you guys just to kind of kick off today. Make sure that uh, we're, we're all in this together. We're all on the same page. So let's do this first one. Um, should you make your significant other aware of just how long they take to get ready um, and to go anywhere? Okay, should you make them aware? Should you make them aware of just how long Yes or no, a lot, of, a lot of no's from the guys, a lot of yeses from the ladies. Interesting choice of things right there. Uh, okay, we're going to have some problems with that. How about this one? Next question, next question. Should you spend equal time with each other's families during the holidays? Yes or no? Heck no, heck no. But in case my in-laws watch on the internet, we love you, okay, okay. Uh, a lot, lot of people saying, yes, y'all must like your in-laws. I don't know what's up with that. You guys, you guys married well. How about this one? Um, should you always answer the phone when he or she calls? What, yes or no? Yes or no? Man, we got a lot of yeses. A couple of no's. They're single. And uh, if you're smart, you'll put yes up for that. How about this one? How about this one? Should you ever go to bed angry? Yes or no? Yes or no? A lot of no's in the house. A couple of yeses. Okay, they, they believe in being angry. That's cool. Um, what, that might be a setup for later on. Okay, white or gold, blue or black? Which one is it? White or gold. How many of you guys think that it's blue and black? Blue and black. Put yes, yes, blue and black. How many of y'all think it's white or gold? White or gold? White or gold? There's some yeses. Anybody that has a yes for white and gold, I'll just tell you right now, you are colorblind. Li literally. If you see white and gold right there, you are colorblind. It's going to explain why you're wearing what you're wearing today. So thank you for coming and be a part of this. I know that this can create a lot of conflict. When I first saw this, like I saw black and blue all the time. And then I saw one picture where it was like white and gold. It messed me up. Like I was like, man, is there something wrong with me? And, uh, I just, I just realized that um, 
There are some things in life that create conflict. There's some differences of opinions that happened. And what happens is, is uh, two people get together and one person is convinced that it's white and gold. And there were a lot of people in here that held up, yes, I believe that that is white and gold. And then there's a lot of people that held up, no, I believe that that is blue and back. And so therefore you can have a lot of tension in life. And today what we're going to talk about is, is that tension. Because here is the reality for all of us, for every single one of us, um, no matter where we are, if we are in, involved in relationship, whether that's a friendship, whether that's a romantic relationship, whether that's a marriage, whether that's just a family element, and I put this on your outline here today, conflict is going to be a part of your relationships. Conflict is just going to be a part of it. It's a part of the healthiest, most God-fearing, most Christ-loving most romantic relationships. I mean, that's just a part of life. And what we're going to be talking about today is, is how do we resolve that conflict? Because conflict really isn't the major issue. Resolving the conflict is typically the major issue that we have trouble with. And so today we're going to look at that. And we're going to look at that by looking at um, a book in the Old Testament that doesn't get a lot of airtime. It's called The Song of Solomon. Uh, it's a really, really incredible story. It's actually a love story between a husband and his wife. And there are some really, really cool aspects of it. It's, it's very passionate. It's very, very graphic. In fact, before there were ever 50 Shades of Grey, there were the eight chapters of the Song of Solomon. And so, uh, like, it is a pretty intense book, and we're going to be looking at the PG version of it. If you want to go and look at the rest of it with your spouse, have fun. But we're going to be looking at Song of Solomon, chapter 5 today, and we're going to start in verse 2. And I believe that it's going to really, really help us in dealing with conflict. It's going to give us some principles that will really impact how we deal with significant relationships in our life. And it says this, starting in verse 2. One night as I was sleeping, my heart awakened in a dream. And so let me just stop right here. And one of the things you're going to see about the, song, the book of the Song of Solomon um, is that it has a lot of poetic writing. And so it's got a very poetic nature. And so all throughout this, you're going to see the poetry and the beauty of it. It says, I heard the voice of my beloved. He was knocking at my bedroom door. Open to me, my darling, my lover, my lovely dove. And so this is what Solomon is saying to his wife. He's saying, hey, open the door, my darling, my, my lover, my lovely dove. And, and this should give you a clue right here. Ladies, if any dude is using this kind of language with you, he wants something from you, okay? So you hear this, you know what's up, something's about to go down. And he goes, he said, for I have been out in the night and am covered with dew. In other words, he's been out, he's been working, he's been sweating a lot. Again, this is very poetic language here. And so he's probably getting home later than he thought he would get home. And he's been sweating and, and, and he's, just, he's just ready to get home to his wife. And so this is her response when he gets home. He says, but I said, I have disrobed, should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet, should I get them soiled? And what's happening is, is he's coming home, he's tired, he's had a long day at work, has gone a lot longer than he ever thought it was going to go, and, and he's thinking in his mind on his way home, this is going to be an incredible evening. Like, this is going to be the best night ever. When we get home, we're going to have a nice dinner. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some lovely somethings. And maybe, just maybe, it's going to be one of those lucky nights. And it's going to be a good night. I can't wait for it. And so, 
he's, he's playing this all out in his mind. He's having all these ideas of what it's going to look like. And, and so he goes there and he's, hey, hey, babe, I'm home. And her response is, hey, I, I've kind of turned in for the night. There, there's going to be no more dinner. There's going to be no more cooking. In fact, I'm tired. And in essence, what she is doing is she is taking the not tonight position. If you're married, you know what that position is. That's, a, that's the position of like, what, like this night is over. You can come back another night. And so verse four, it says, my beloved tried to unlatch the door and my heart was thrilled within me. Again, very, very interesting text because you think, well, is he trying to like break into a room? Like, what's up with that? And, and you got to understand that, that in this, this time, there would be these latches on the door and the, the woman or whoever was inside would latch and bolt it from the inside. And so, in essence, when he, he's saying he touches the door in a very poetic fashion, it would be like our equivalent of sending somebody we love a valentine. And so what he's saying is he's saying, hey, listen, I heard you. I love you anyways. I'm thinking about you. And, and he, just, he just touches it. I mean, he's coming home. He's got all these ideas in his mind. He's got all these expectations in his mind. He's thinking, man, this is going to be an incredible night. She goes, you know, not tonight. And in response to that, he just kind of, he reaches up and he goes, man, I just want you to know I love you. And I'm thinking about you. And this scenario plays out in a thousand different ways in our relationships every day. Because we all have some ideas of what we think it's going to go like. We have some ideas of what we think our relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a romantic relationship, whether it's a family member, how those interactions are going to go. And typically what happens is, is that we have some expectations that we want. We have some buildup in our mind of what we want from our partner and what we believe we should get from our partner and what we expect from that person. And then typically what happens is, is there's some disappointment there because they don't have the same expectation. And all of a sudden there is some frustration and a lot of times there is some conflict, partly because and mostly because of some unmet expectations. And if you were to really understand where the origin of most conflict comes from, the origin of most conflict is, is that I wanted you to do something and you didn't do what I wanted you to do, so therefore I'm upset. It's this idea that a lot of the problems that we face in relationships, a lot of the conflict that we have originates from some expectations that weren't met. In fact, I, I found this illustration for you that I want you all to check out of Unmet Expectations. Take a look at this. Kiss Cam at a Chicago Bulls game. Everybody loves Kiss Cam. It's a good time. She wants to kiss her man. Doesn't happen. A lot of love in the room. My favorite guy. Yep, that's awesome. 
Oh, some unmet expectations. unmet expectations, there's some conflict that boils up, isn't there? You might get a drink poured on you by the Chicago Bulls mascot, I don't know, but there's always some problems. And so continue on in verse 5, it says, I jumped up to open it, my hands dripped with perfume, my fingers with lovely myrrh, as I pulled back the bolt, I opened to my beloved, but he was gone. My heart stopped, I searched for him, but couldn't find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. It's so interesting because here's a guy that shows up with all of these expectations. He shows up with this idea of how this night is going to go. And she takes the not tonight position. And he's discouraged, but he, said, he reaches up and he touches the latch and he says, I love you anyways. And he walks away. And then something happens that's probably never, ever happened in the history of mankind. The woman changes her mind. changes her mind and now she decides she'd like to see him and she runs to the door and he's gone he's just walked away now what I want to look at is I want to look at a, a couple of principles that I believe we can we can take out of this to help us really be able to to resolve conflict in our lives and and what are some things that we can really build off of when we face conflict in our lives and the first one is this is we have got to acknowledge the role of pride we have got to acknowledge the role that pride plays when it comes to this kind of stuff. Because remember last week I said that it's not that um, in a relationship, whether, when there's two people in every relationship, it's not that one person's, person's healthy and the other person's unhealthy. It's that both people are unholy. It's that both people are imperfect. And what happens is, is that for all of us, we all have this natural tendency to be self-centered, to want to get our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our expectations met. And we talked about the fact that in a healthy relationship, there's got to be this this mutual submission that happens where it goes, you know what, I'm not going to focus on my wants and my needs and my desires. What I'm going to focus on is I'm going to focus on making all of your desires happen because our natural tendency and our natural bent is to be self-centered. And anytime you have self-centeredness in a relationship, it is always going to cause conflict. See, expectations, um, when they aren't met, Part of the major issues they're not met and reason why they're not met is because pride creeps in and says, this is what I think you deserve, I deserve in this relationship. This is what I think you need to give to me because I'm in this relationship. And our pride starts to rise up and it starts to distort reality in that relationship. It starts to distort what's going on and it and causes us to see things in the relationship that aren't really there. In fact, I put it in your notes like this. Pride distorts our reality. It really, really does. And I've seen some intelligent people. I've seen some God-fearing people. I've seen some absolutely loving, passionate people get into conflict and their pride starts to rise up and the, the conflict just escalates out of complete control. 
It just escalates out of control. In fact, I, I've done so much counseling in, in my, my tenure as a pastor. In fact, uh, I used to do a ton of counseling. I don't really do very much anymore because I don't really consider myself much of a counselor. I'm more pastoral. And, and so I'm really, really good at listening. And a lot of times what would happen is somebody would email me and say, hey, we're having trouble in our relationship. Can we sit down and meet with you? And the person that would call in and do that, what typically would happen in probably 75% of the cases is, is that the other person that didn't ask for the meeting, they would, they would call me up and say, hey, I need to talk to you to let you know what's going on. And so they would go, here's what's going on, and here's what's wrong with the other person, and all I need you to do is I just need to tell you that, I need you to tell them that they're wrong and I'm right. That'll fix everything in the relationship. Why? Because pride distorts reality. And I'm telling you over and over and over again, they would call up and think, man, if you could just make sure that they know that they're wrong and I'm right, then everything would be good. Why is that? Because people aren't really interested in health. They're really interested in being right. They're not interested in restoring the relationship. They're interested in being right in the relationship. And so for those of you that are in the midst of a conflict right now, let me just tell you this, and I'll put it on your note. You can win the argument or you can win the other person's heart, but you're probably not going to do both of those things. You can win the argument or you can win their heart. You need to decide right up front if it's important for you to win the argument or win the other person's heart. And if I could just be a fly in your house when you have some conflict and it starts rolling up in there in the conversation, you start, you start having some, what I like to call loud discussions with one another, not, not yelling, loud discussions, uh, within the first 30 seconds and two minutes, I can tell you right now whether you want to win the argument or you want to win the heart. Because it's always easy to see pride in other people. It's really, really hard to see pride in ourselves. But here's a little clue to help you see if you have some pride in your life when it comes to conflict. If when you're starting to have conflict, you're starting to make a list of everything that you do right and everything that they do wrong. If you're starting to focus on all of their failures and you are rehearsing those things over and over and over again in your mind, you're on some pretty, pretty uh, crazy ground right there. Because the evil one in the, in the Bible, his name is Satan. And do you know what Satan means? It means accuser. And see, what happens is when we start rehearsing all those things, what we're doing is we're building our case to accuse the other person. And we're taking on the very nature of the enemy, which is exactly what he wants us to do. Because what is his goal? His goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. And he knows that if he can get you accusing that one, it's going to distort your reality and it's going to jack everything up. And that, that little bit of tension is going to accelerate really, really quick into a huge, huge deal. And so we have to understand and identify the role that pride plays in every single conflict that we have. The second thing we have to do is sometimes we just have to walk away. Sometimes just walk away. And I know that that's going to sound contrary to what so much of you have heard. But I love Solomon in this story. I love the fact that while he's disappointed and while he's discouraged and while it didn't turn out the way that he expected or thought it should, he just touches the latch and says, I love you. And then he walks away. 
We don't really know where he goes. We don't know if he goes to a movie by himself, if he goes to play ball with his boys down at the playground. We don't know if, if, if he's going for some solitude to spend some time with God. We don't know if he went to the gym to get some aggression out. We don't really know where he goes. We just know that he walks away. And if you were to read a little bit further and if you were just to continue on in this story, you would see that she has a complete 180 degree heart change. Now, what's interesting to me is that Solomon touches the door and he walks away. He didn't stay there and try to win her over with common sense arguments. He didn't stay there and try to manipulate her into getting what he wanted after she stated specifically what she didn't want. What does he do? He just walks away. And what happens? Her heart changes. He doesn't change her heart. What does he do? He allows God to change her heart. It's a big deal right there. And I think that so many times we feel this pressure that we have got to resolve uh, the argument. We think that I've got to get them to think the way that I'm thinking. I've got to get them to come to my side and understand how I'm looking at this and what I'm seeing in this. And I've got to clean this whole relationship up. I've got to fix this problem right now or this whole thing is going to fall apart. And we think we have to put this nice pretty bow on this huge conflict. And, and in that moment, instead of helping the process, we end up accelerating the process. We end up causing it to get a lot worse. And I asked you guys in the beginning, uh, in the very beginning, to answer about, should you let the sun go down on your anger? And, and all of you guys were like, no, you shouldn't do that. You should, you should never let the sun go down on your anger. And the reason you said that is because there's a verse that's been quoted over and over again uh, out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, and it says this, and it says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And so a lot of you have heard that verse, and so you've always felt the pressure that if there is some sort of conflict going on, I've got to get this fixed right now. I've got to get this fixed right now. What's interesting to me is there is a verse that is almost verbatim on half of this, and then it switches it up a little bit. In Psalms 4, 4, it says this, don't sin by letting anger control you. We just read that. It says, think about it overnight and remain silent. So what this verse is saying is it says, shut up and walk away. So we've got, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and we've got shut up and walk away. So which one's right? They're both right, exactly. Because it isn't about shutting up and walking away or resolving it right in that moment. What it is trying to get through here is biblically, don't let anger get the best of you. Don't let your anger get the best of you. And so if you need to stay up late at night and hash it out and hash it out and hash it out until you resolve your anger, then stay up late at night and resolve it and hash it out to get that anger fixed. If you need to go and walk away and play some ball with your boys or go work out or go play some poker with your friends, then walk away and go do that. Resolve your anger and then come back and work on the issue. And I put it on your outline like this. There is a difference between resolving your anger and resolving the issue. Our problem is, is that 
we try to do the, those two things when they're two completely opposite things. And we get them so mixed up. And when we try to do those things at the same time, it's so hard because there's conflicting interests going on within you. Because how many of you guys have ever gotten in an argument, for those of y'all that are married, how many of you guys have ever gotten into a, a super trivial, meaningless argument with your spouse, and before long, it's escalated into a major blow-up to where you're screaming and yelling, and you're mad, and three hours later, you're like, when you finally resolve it, you're like, what did we even start arguing about? Why? Why does that happen? Because you try to resolve your anger and the issue at the same time. And because you are trying to do both when you need to resolve your anger first before you ever deal with the issue, because the anger is an internal thing. The other person can't solve your anger problem. They can help solve the issue, but they can't solve your anger. You've got to do that. And so for a lot of us, what that means is, is that, man, we've got to take a step back sometimes We've got to resolve that within ourselves, and then we need to step up and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to work on this issue now that I've worked out the problem in me. But don't try to do both at the same time. And as you're doing that, the third thing there is you've got to value kindness. You've got to value kindness. Because some people, they value bluntness a whole lot more than they value kindness. Let's just do kind of a mash confessional here. Um, you know, if, if you were to be honest with yourself, how many of you guys would say you tend to value being blunt in the context of your most intimate relationships? I'm a blunt dude. Like, I like to just say it how it is, how I feel, what I think in that moment. And, and I just want to remind you right here that you don't always have to say what you're thinking. I know that it's going to blow your mind right there. You don't always have to say what you're thinking. I'm giving you permission today to not always say what you're thinking. And some of y'all are like, nah, man, you don't understand. We say it how it is in our house. Like, I tell him what's up when I see what's up, and she tells me what's up when she sees what's up. And that's just how we are, and that's just how we roll, and that's how we're always going to be. And for some reason, some of us have this addiction and this love of being ultra direct. And let me just tell you something, ultra direct people are awesome. They are a lot of fun at a party. Everybody loves an ultra direct person at a party because they'll say what everybody else is thinking. And so they're, they're enjoyable. You find an ultra direct person um, and you get them, somebody that's ultra direct about politics, man, you know what will happen? They'll end up building a big platform because some political party will say, hey, I want you to be our mouthpiece because they'll say whatever they're thinking. You find somebody that's ultra direct when it comes to style, they'll end up on some TV show, some TV talk show talking about style because they're willing to step out on a limb and say whatever they want about that. You find somebody that's ultra direct in their thoughts about Christianity Christianity, they'll end up building a big platform uh, through, through maybe a blog or something, whether it's true or not, because they're going to say whatever they think. And they're enjoyable people to be around at a party. Like, they're fun because they're just going to say crazy things. But maybe, just maybe, that doesn't work best in the context of your most intimate relationships. Maybe that's not the best way to go. Because I think people who tend to value kindness 
in the relationships tend to have the healthiest and most loving relationships. And, and Paul speaks to this in Colossians. He says this in Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What we tend to do in the context of our most intimate relationships is instead of being full of grace, we like to be full of truth. We like to be full of truth and seasoned with just a little bit of grace. And so what happens is, is we go on a rampage telling somebody everything that's wrong with them. You're this and you're that, blah, 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 blah. And we just throw up on them, and then at the end we go, but I love you. Hey, I'm in this for the long haul. And that person's thinking, man, I wish you weren't. So we got to have conversations that, instead of being full of truth, are full of grace. Seasoned with some truth. And this is one of those things that I've had to work on. If you've been around here for any length of time, you realize that I just say whatever comes to my mind most of the time. It's like there is not a filter here. And that filter doesn't just happen at church. That filter happens everywhere. It's like non-existent. And I've realized that I have a tendency to hurt people in relationships because I'm really quick with my words and I can, I can cut through people. And I, I remember not too long ago, I was, there was somebody that, on our staff that wasn't performing at the level that I thought that they could be and should be. And, and I, I knew that I was going to have to have a tough conversation with them. And so, you know what I did is, is I went home and I started praying. And as I was praying, I started thinking about how that, that conversation was going to go. And I started thinking about how can I approach this in the best way. And as I was thinking about that, you know what I did? I went and I prayed some more. And as I prayed some more, I thought about what is the fallout of this conversation going to be if they don't think the same way that I'm thinking? Like, what are, how are they going to respond? What is this going to do for our, for our working relationship, our, our pastoral? Like, how is this all going to flow? And, 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 and then I went and I prayed some more. And I was getting ready for that day. I picked out the perfect timing because I was like, you know, should I do this uh, like Friday at 5 o'clock? That probably isn't going to be the best time. Or should I do it on Tuesday when we first get to the office? That might be kind of awkward for the rest of the day. And so what did I do? I went and prayed. As I got in that conversation, you know what I did right away? I started praying in that conversation. And I started off that conversation. I started talking about all the good things that they were doing. And then I, I slipped in there some thoughts that I had about them improving in some areas of performance and and then I came back to some things that they were doing well. And you know what? They received that amazingly. Why? Because my conversation was full of grace, seasoned with some truth. But then within 24 hours, I went home and I saw some things in Shayla that needed to be changed. And instead of taking some time and praying, I just told her what needed to change. And uh, that didn't work out so well. And so often, it's not what you say that matters, but how you say it. It's not just what you say, but it's how you say it that matters in life. And now, I'm not saying that you need to go and censor yourself. I'm not saying that at all. But if you wouldn't say something to one of your close friends, then maybe you shouldn't say it that way to your spouse maybe you shouldn't say that that same way to your child maybe you shouldn't say that the same way to your parent 
Some of y'all are like, well, that's how I talk to my close friends. That's just, that's just how I roll. And I would just say, you don't have any close friends then. You have some people that tolerate you, but they don't like you. Because nobody talks that way to their friends and keeps friends. So we have to think through this. And in the context of our closest real relationships, realize that there's power to our words, but there's also a lot of power in kindness. And as we're doing that, number four, what we have to do is we have to believe the best. We have got to believe the best. Going back to the story, I think when Solomon got rejected by his wife and she was like, not tonight. I think what really, really helped this conflict is when Solomon believed the best in his wife. When Solomon believed the best. When she said, you know what, baby, I I'm tired tonight. He didn't read into that and go, you know what? She's never going to have sex with me again. She hates me. He heard her and goes, man, she's, she's had a rough day. Hey, I love you. Thinking about you. And he walks away. He goes, man, I believe that you're worn out. I'm going to believe the best in this relationship. I found this survey of, of couples that were labeled struggling in their relationship and they had a whole bunch of series of questions that they asked them and and there was one particular question that that really stood out to me and and it was this it says do you deeply care about the person you are in a relationship with now this is taken from couples that are struggling in their relationship and they're saying hey how do you feel about the person you're in a relationship with right now do you care deeply with them? Even though you're struggling, do you care deeply for them? 97% of the people said they care deeply for that person that they're in a struggling relationship with. But when asked if they thought that the person that they were in a relationship with, that they cared so much about, cared deeply about them, you know what their response was? Only 40% believed that the other person cared deeply for them. So while the overwhelming majority cared deeply for the other person, they didn't believe that the other person cared deeply for them. Now, it seems kind of odd to me that in a relationship where you're supposed to love the other person, that you would have to ask them about their intentions of deeply caring for you. But what starts to happen when we're struggling and what starts to happen when there's conflict arising in our mind because we start lying to ourselves, we start distorting our reality, we start to doubt the other person's love for us. We start to doubt the other person's care for us. And it becomes super, super destructive to the intimacy in our relationships. When instead of believing the best, we're believing the worst. In fact, the University of North Carolina did a, did a whole study called The Power of Good Intentions. And they took a whole bunch of couples and they, they set them up for this, this test. And it was all about, um, they took a group of couples uh, and, and separated them into three groups. And they said, hey, we're going to put one spouse in a room and the other one's in another room. Um, and the group that's away... Uh, is going to have a button that's going to shock the other person. 
I'm like, I would never sign up for that, that survey right there. That would suck getting shocked. And so they separated them into three groups. And the first group, they said, hey, your spouse is going to shock you. But when they shock you, they're doing it because they're trying to help you. Because every time they shock you, you win money. And so they, they told this first group that, that when they, their spouse shocks them, they're going to win money. Now, they're going to shock all of the same intensity. So they grab the second group and they say, hey, when, when that person um, hits the button, they don't really know what that button's going to do. And so when they shock you, they don't even know that they're shocking you. And so uh, they, they separated them into the second group. And then the third group, they said, hey, your spouse, when they hit that button, they know that it shocks you and they're just doing it for fun. How many of y'all want to be in that group? And so they did this study and same shock, same intensity went to all three groups. But the group that thought that their spouse was being helpful, they thought that they had good intentions for their family, they thought that they were trying to get them money. Because of just the intentions, they all felt significantly less pain than all of the other people. Again, same intensity, same shock, just different intentions. And I think the same thing rings true in our relationships when we think about the intentions of another person, whether that's a family member, whether that's our spouse, whether that's our children. There's only two options when it comes to another person's perceived intentions. They either have good intentions for me or they don't. There's no in-between. Either their intentions are, I want to help you, I love you, I care about you, or you're the scum of the earth and I don't give a crap. There is no in-between. And if you feel like you're in a relationship where the other person doesn't have any good intentions, it's always going to be extremely, extremely difficult for you to resolve conflict. Because how you perceive the other person is trying to fix it, you don't think that they have your best in mind. And let me just say this to wrap this up, because there's some of you guys that are in some relationships right now and you're struggling, and, and I know what that's like. Shayla and I, we struggled a lot in the beginning of our relationship. We struggled a lot in the beginning of our marriage. And sometimes you get in some conflicts where just the two of you are not going to be able to resolve it. It's just too big, it's too too overwhelming, you're too deeply invested into it, and sometimes you need some help. You need somebody from the outside, or you need a counselor, and there's nothing wrong with that. People that say, oh, that's, you're, you're, no, that's some of the best decisions you could ever make. I don't want to tell you today, one of the wisest things that you could do is get help if you're struggling. Don't see it as a weakness. See it as an opportunity to move forward because we said last week, healthy relationships, what do they take? They take a lot of work. They're not just something you fall into. They're not just something that magically appears and is just perfect. And for some reason, the church has bought in that, man, if you love Jesus and you're in a Christ-filled relationship, then you're never going to have any problems. And that's just a bunch of crap. Like, you're human. You got two unholy people coming together. There are going to be some problems. In fact, at some point, your relationship is going to get hit by a Mack truck. It's coming. If you're married, you know it. 
that hasn't come yet, it's coming. The only people that don't believe the Mack truck is going to come are engaged people. But they'll find out. We've got to be honest. We've got to look and go, man, if there's trouble, I've got to look at the pride that's within me. I've got to realize that sometimes when I'm angry, I just need to walk away and resolve what's going on inside of me. And then I need to come back and I need to value kindness and believe the best in this relationship and allow God to restore what's been broken. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are a God that is all about relationships. You're a God that's all about the restoration process. And I know that some of us are dealing with some conflict and relationships right now. And it's a struggle. And, and we don't know where to turn. And I would tell you that today the best place you could turn is you could turn to Jesus. And Jesus, instead of fixing your relationship, the thing that he'll fix first and foremost is you. And a lot of times the fix that we need isn't fixing the other person. A lot of times the fix that we need is fixing us. We need to fix our pride. We need to fix our anger. We need to fix our focus and allow him to do an incredible work. And Pastor Steve is going to come here and he's going to close us out.